again, everybody, and welcome to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. My name is Bob Kaler, and I'm here in Monument, Colorado. My co-host, Stephanie Greenwald, is in Oklahoma City. Say hello, Stephanie. Hello, everyone. Good to be with you today. Bob, how are you? We're doing pretty well. Um, I was just thinking about different rhythms we've picked up. We're still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and and all of that. And last week we talked about the weather, which is finally becoming spring here. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I know it's there in Oklahoma City, but but I'm thinking about what other things have kind of dawned out of this. So um, what are you doing differently? Name one thing you're doing differently. I'm always, I'm asking every pastor I talk to this as we begin every conversation. So what are you doing differently these days? Oh, I love that question. Well, you know, it's funny because as as I was in a normal rhythm before the pandemic started, uh, I was definitely in my rhythm of praying every day and re- I like to read a chapter of scripture every day. Uh, but it's, it's almost a good thing when the world shakes us up a little bit because then we, we don't get stuck in our old rhythm. So what I'm doing differently in my prayer time, I still pray every day. I still read a chapter of scripture every day, but I'm talking to about new things, about different things, and and trying to listen to hear what he is wanting to do new in this time. So what about you? What are you doing different? You know, I've gone old school, and I am leaning deep into the Book of Common Prayer. Um, And uh, in fact, I'm using the new Anglican Church of North America Book of Common Prayer, which has been really phenomenal. And um, that daily rhythm, we've been doing daily morning prayer online for our congregation and people really gravitated toward that. So it's been a really marvelous thing. Um, and uh, I, it's a rhythm I'm, I'm going to continue. I feel like the more I spend in this time, the more Anglo Methodist I become. It's kind of like, I haven't bought, I haven't bought a collar yet, but I'm getting there. You know, it's one of those one of those things. And uh, I'm excited about it though. It's going back. I mean, we're doing an Ascension Day service on Thursday this week and and going full bore with it. So I don't know if my congregation will appreciate it, but we're excited about it from from our standpoint. (laughs) I bet they will. I bet they will love it. Well, I am so excited to introduce our special guest today. It's been fun for us to be talking to different folks who are leading the way uh, in this new movement of medicine. But I want to introduce to you, friends, our special guest who uh, is a senior pastor, the senior pastor at Reynoldsburg United Methodist Church in Ohio. It's a suburb just uh, outside of Columbus. He's also the chair of the Wesleyan Covenant Association Council. And his name is Reverend Jeff Greenway. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you, Stephanie and Bob. How are you folks? Doing well. I'm wondering what what rhythms you've picked up, Jeff, in the midst of this. Uh, My prayer life has actually been enhanced in this. Uh, Obviously, we're learning to do everything differently. And uh, in some things, I don't know that we'll ever do the same. But uh, I find myself constantly in prayer. Uh, because the mm-hmm. volume of requests that I'm receiving from people, the kind of care we're giving now lends itself to getting things in real time. And uh, we've mobilized our congregation to be, everybody that calls this church their home receives a phone call from somebody else in the church at least every two weeks. And and mm-hmm. those prayer requests are sent back through us. And so I find myself calling about 30 people a day and praying with them on the phone. And uh, that's something I've never done in my entire 
ministry. And I, what I'm finding is, is the fabric of relationship, even though we're separated and scattered, is deepening because of the sharing that's going on by phone and in prayer. So, Jeff, you are the chair of the WCA Council, and I've been privileged to work with you in that capacity. And I want you to kind of tell people what the WCA Council has been working on since General Conference was postponed. We got a little bit of that from Keith last week, but what, what's been happening, and particularly with the doctrine and discipline as that's kind of emerging, what kind of stuff is going on there? Sure. Well, uh, as you can imagine, we're continuing to do our work, uh, although the public voice of the WCA has shifted a little bit. Uh, once the pandemic came into full cycle and it became in the forefront of every news cycle, uh, we really kind of backed off from doing some of the traditional things we'd been doing to let people know what was coming and what the WCA had been working on. Rather, we shifted our messaging toward encouraging and equipping kind of articles. And, and that's going to remain the case for a while. Uh, that doesn't mean that the presenting symptoms have put us in the position we were leading up to what had been planned to be general conference this month have disappeared. It just means that they're not the most, uh, we don't want what we're doing to get lost in the swirl of other more important news items. But the, uh, the main thing that the WCA Council has been doing is taking the work that had been done the previous year by the Next Step work, Working Group and uh, refining it. Uh, if you'll recall, we've been working on a draft book of a doctrine and discipline to be presented to whatever the new entity of the, of the, of the Methodist movement will be at their founding conference. Not that it's set, it's really kind of wet cement, but we uh, learned from people that we talked to in the Lutheran tradition and the Anglican traditions that when they went through something like this, they made a mistake of not preparing ahead of time. And, uh, and they lost two to three years in the process of momentum that could have been, they could have capitalized on. So we were hoping to get ahead of that, to have something in place that people could work on or work from to get us started so we wouldn't lose as much time. So we're continuing to work on that. And once each chapter is refined, uh, we come back a second time. It's sent back to our committees and we continue to work on that to try to perfect that as much as we can. Uh, as you're probably aware, in the beginning of March, there was a gathering of, of a representative group of traditionalist uh, Methodists. There were about 10 folks from the Reform and Renewal Coalition, of which the WCA is a part. There were nine or 10 uh, evangelical traditionalist bishops that were in the room. And then there were nine or 10 uh, non-Reform and Renewal uh, traditionalist folks. Uh, I used to be in that that camp, by the way, I, I never was involved with good news, never anything like that until we formed the WCA. And, uh, and I, I just was grateful people were doing the things they were doing. I just didn't feel I needed to be involved in it. But uh, some things happened in my own life that got me to the place where I recognized that if I wanted to be a part of shaping what was coming, I needed to be involved. So uh, we were in that room uh, for two, two and a half days and hammered out some of the, the concerns that were coming from people who'd not been participating in this from the beginning and came out with a with a plan where there's now a kind of a transitional leadership council that's working ahead of time so that everything the WCA is working on will be given to that transitional leadership council and then everything the transitional leadership council will will be working on will be given to the founding general conference or whatever the next entity will be so we're just trying to be good stewards of uh, the call of god upon the council we're trying to put the best foot forward for what we think the next Methodism ought to look like, at least to give us a jump start. And uh, we're holding it with an open hand. Uh, we're not holding it tight-fisted. 
we look at it as a gift to give the future church. And when the time is right, uh, we'll hand that off and we'll disappear. Uh, we'll cease to exist. But in the meantime, we feel a custodial responsibility to work in that effort. I liked what you said at the global gathering in November that this is not set in cement. It's not even wet cement. It's the ingredients for cement. I love that imagery as we think about that. So when we think about those ingredients of what a new Methodism might look like, and, and full disclosure, I've worked on the Next Steps Task Force. It was a tremendous opportunity, but one of the challenges we faced was how do you, how do you move into something new? How do you really have a blank canvas to think about a new traditional Methodism without constantly reacting to the stuff that we've seen in United Methodism. So um, what, what are some of those distinctive features that you see that are different from where we have been, where we are now, and, and what we can look toward for the future? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Bob, you remember, we had that tension point all the time in that all process. And one of the things I consistently said is that we, we cannot legislate bad actors out of whatever system gets developed, but we can make it possible for the system to support itself and enforce its polity so that bad actors can be uh, transitioned in a way that's necessary. Um, I think that the, uh, the, the, I think the first thing I would want to say about the way we approached our work is we really believe that, uh, that our polity ought to flow out of our doctrine. In fact, we are calling this draft the doctrine and discipline for a reason. Uh, I happen to believe that if you research the, 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 the foundations to the challenges we have in our present system, is that in 1968 through 1970, when the EUB tradition and the Methodist uh, church were coming together, they really did not reconcile some of the significant doctrinal differences that existed. And uh, they rather, they kind of took a look at them as historic documents and kind of set them aside and embraced instead what they call theological pluralism, kind of a big tent Methodism. And what I've, the image I've used is the tent has been stretched to its very ends and it's now coming apart at the seams because it cannot stay together unless there's a common core out of which our, our, our church functions, a common core of belief out of which we function. And, and some folks may disagree with what all those core beliefs are, but we spent a lot of time working on what our doctrinal statements would be. And uh, actually that's the Transitional Leadership uh, Council is doing the same thing right now, just kind of make sure that we have a solid foundation of, out of which our of faith, out of which our practice emanates. Uh, the second thing I would say is that we wanted to um, we wanted to uh, to refocus the effort of the church on the local church, and give a whole lot more um, autonomy for structure, as well as a whole lot more say in the process of clergy deployment uh, to the local church. Uh, some of uh, some of those folks who are listening understand that in our present system, uh, the church the the appointment system is supposed to be a consultative. Uh, process, but uh, our judicial council has determined that bishops get to decide the definition of a consultation, and uh, and that varies widely from place to place. Uh, we uh, we're committed to a much more open process in which uh, congregations have a much greater say in the process. And uh, it, it, at one point, we were talking about a modified call system. I think where we're going to end up is a, is a much more consultative uh, process 
and which involves the which involves bishops ultimately making appointments. But uh, I'm excited about the the transitions that are taking place there. As a former district superintendent, I believe what we're presenting is going to be much healthier for local churches than the previous model has been. Uh, another piece that we're interested in is. Um, we believe that if you're uh, called and the church has said that you're qualified to serve one of our churches, then you ought to be seen as clergy. Uh, we are not interested in a second class clergy for uh, local pastors who have a uh, voice but no vote and don't have any rights, even when their lay delegate gets a vote and the elders and deacons in the room get a vote. So we're building a model in which uh, the ordination process and the, the, the right of uh, the, the clergy right to to uh, voice and vote will happen much earlier in the process for local pastors. Uh, as we talk about that with local pastors and explain what that looks like, uh, they're pretty excited about the possibility of coming into a system like that. Um, another thing is uh, we want to reclaim a, um, a church planting new community of faith kind of movement. Uh, I think there was a quote from the 1800s and there's an old song that said, we're starting a church a day. In the 1800s, Methodists were starting 400 churches a year as it moved across the country. Now, they didn't all stick. They didn't all last. That wasn't the point. The point was it was in the DNA of that movement to start churches as they move forward. We, we want to reclaim our cities. We want to reclaim some places that we've abandoned. And we would like to start new communities of faith in those places. And so one of the stated priorities of the new movement is around developing new churches. Um, not only in North America, but elsewhere, which leads me to another point. Uh, we're committed to being a distinctively global expression of evangelical or traditional Methodism. Uh, we have uh, members on our, our, our council who are from all five of the central conferences. We have, uh, we have uh, people on all of our task forces that are from the different central conferences. Uh, we're doing everything we can to engage as many people as possible, both on the Episcopal level conference staff level and in local church level across the church to see if there are folks who'd be willing to partner with us. Bob, I mean, Bob, did I hit, did I hit most of them or is there anything else you want me to chat about? No, I think that's quite a lot. And, and it is the challenge of, of trying to think through this. You mentioned clergy deployment, for example. I, I was part of that team that, that wrote a lot of that. And it was sort of like, you, you take a, a set of dominoes and if you remove one and or you push them the wrong way, everything else begins to fall down. So you think about guaranteed appointment. If you remove that out of the mix, then there are a lot of other things that happen. So uh, we had to go in a lot of different directions and knowing full well that this was going to go through multiple revisions and multiple ways of looking at it. So again, it's sort of a start to the process. Yeah, I would add one thing. Um, we want something in the future that's nimble and the, uh, the, the, the structure is flat and uh, it's much more supple and responsive to the needs as they present themselves rather than an institution that we have to continue to feed to so that it exists. We'd like the church structure around us to exist so that the congregations can flourish. And, um, and I'm not saying that there aren't people that try to do that in the present system. You know, but institutions exist to protect themselves, and uh, and and that's what they're going to do. And sometimes that means that uh, the the intended mission doesn't quite reach to the to the level or to the place it was intended to. 
So, yeah, it's it, it it's an exciting thing to be a part of. It really is. It's exciting to hear everything, Jeff, as, as you're talking about this. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are excited to hear some of these details about what the differences are between the current uh, structure and, and the new idea, the new Methodist movement. So as we look at that, as we look at what WCA is helping to put into place, uh, I would love to hear your take on um, what you see as some of the substantial agreements among the traditional Methodists. So things that most of us are going to agree about, it's going to be an easy yes on our part, but then also what are the areas where you think we still are going to have some negotiation that people are still going to want to talk about? Sure. Uh, we're, we've come to, um, actually, it's been amazing to me every time we've come to discuss this section on doctrine. Um, that has been the most amazing conversation uh, because we've been able to process through that in a way that it's, it's not been shallow. It's been very deep, but the points of contention are not about the nature, role, and authority of scripture. They're not about the nature, role, and divinity of Jesus. They're not about what it means to be saved by grace through faith and justification. And it's not about what our understanding of sanctification is. Those are all kind of clear and it, and, and there, we're not speaking different language to one another. So that's been refreshing. There's great agreement on that. Another point of agreement is we want to move away from uh, the posture of stating things negatively. Mm-hmm. We're trying to not. We're not trying to build a church where we're telling everybody what we're against. We're trying to. We're trying to develop a movement that invites people to join us in what we're for. Mm-hmm. And even even some of the more sticky topics that have. Uh, troubled the United Methodist Church over its entire existence, we're tending to state positively from a, from our understanding of a, of a biblical ethic about what the standard is, and call people to live that rather than than you're not this. Um, uh, we also um, have come to a place of agreement on the nature of the episcopacy. Uh, coming out of the Atlanta conversation, there's agreement that we will have uh, term limited bishops. The bishops will be elected to one. 12-year term Mm -hmm. and that when they're no longer bishops if they're not at a retirement age they'll go back and serve a local church and there will be no retired bishops in the council of bishops there won't be bishops that show up in other places to do things for uh you know in in other bishops territories as we see happening in our in our church today and uh and so there's agreement about that Uh, what a bit of the challenge is is bob you know this we were trying to move away from uh, the traditional role of super of district superintendent, but that was before we had any annual conferences wanting to come. <laughs> and and there are several annual conferences that that are likely going to end up coming as a whole or a majority to into the new traditionalist expression, and uh, it's going to be a, a much more difficult thing for an existing annual conference to make them morph into something new, but they'll do it over a period of time, then it will be for some, like Bob, a collection of 30 churches from west of the Rocky Mountains do that together. Maybe all there are at this point, but. Well, but the goal, the goal is to plant all kinds of churches there, right? That's the goal. And so, uh, but there's, there, we have a little bit of challenge about how the, whether it's going to be uh, presiding elders over circuits or district superintendents over districts. We think the functions are going to be the same. I think there'll be some flexibility in how that gets fleshed out. 
Um, another thing, uh, and honestly, we've decided not to do anything about two or three things that we think uh, we think we need to have a lot more time and effort. Uh, we have uh, developed a section in the doctrine and discipline called our social witness, which is a general understanding of our historic involvement in social justice issues. We address things in there like racism and uh, and a number of other topics. What we have not done is we've not developed a, uh, um, a social principles. Um, we have decided that we would, we are going to recommend to the founding conference that they form a blue, a blue, a blue ribbon panel to take a look at the social principles for the next church. Um, and we also recognize that the time has come for the updating of uh, the articles of religion. Not that there, there's anything wrong with them, but the language is kind of archaic. And so uh, we're going to be recommending that uh, the articles of religion, uh, that once that the new church take a look at the articles, to put them in language that is more current for today. Uh, and um, trying to think what else. Uh, places, uh, we, um, we're still in some conversation about whether we need to have the regional conference idea, you know, what, whether it's jurisdictional conferences or central conferences. I happen to believe that the present jurisdictional conferences we have are, are, a, are a lasting uh, residue of institutional racism, mm. which we formed in order to have a central jurisdiction in which to put all the African-American churches. And then when, when, they were, when, when, the, when the central jurisdiction went away, the, the other jurisdictions were supposed to go away too, and they didn't. And honestly, I think the, the, uh, the power centralization and the way in which it's been used around the, around the episcopacy is one of the major problems we have in the existing church. Um, we've come to a place of agreement around um, about uh, accountability for bishops, and we've come to a place of agreement about uh, the global nature of the church. Um, trying to think what else. Um, well, it's, it's exciting to see that there is a you know, kind of a pathway forward that there's not a lot of, I mean, the things that we're talking about where there may be some, some negotiations still to take place are not major issues. They're kind of issues of, of process more than, than foundational beliefs. Would you? That's would, correct. Would yeah. That, that way. Yep. What would Wesley say in essentials unity in right. non-essentials liberty and all things charity? I think we've got great unity around the essentials. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, um, uh, you know, I think in the non-essentials, we're at a place where the avenue of conversation is open in a good kind of way. And I think that when, by the time we get to the place where uh, after, if, if the protocol passes and if there's a, an opportunity for a new denomination to be formed, uh, we'll be ready to do that the day after general conference mm -hmm. ends and, uh, and the transitional leadership council will be ready to provide a short period of leadership between the time that happens and the, the founding conference or the, the uh, constituting conference of a new denomination takes place. But none of the polity work that's being done here, none of the doctrine and discipline, none of the transitional leadership team work will be the, will be the polity that will be guaranteed to be the polity that the new church follows. It's just work that we're doing in preparation to try to cast a vision for a compelling future for the church. 
I think it's really encouraging to hear uh, the effort that's been put into making these plans. And just like you mentioned earlier, we have learned from our other brothers and sisters and other denominations and, and the things that they would have encouraged us to do differently, we are doing uh, differently. So I was going to ask you, Jeff, if you'll tell us a little bit about the ministry task forces. That seems to be a way that uh, that we are planning for the future. You might just explain what those are for our listeners who don't know, but also can you tell us, you know, what kinds of things are they proposing? What are they recognizing that's still a work in progress and that kind of thing? Tell us a little bit about those ministry task forces. So we have, uh, we have actually nine different task forces working right now for the council. Let me just tell you the philosophy behind these. Uh, we're not a church. Uh, we don't have an infrastructure to rely upon. Every person with the exception of Keith Boyette and Walter Fenton associated with the WCA is volunteer. Mm. Um, and um, so in order to broaden the participation and, and also to engage more expertise in the conversation, we've identified uh, nine areas where we think that we need to have more help to develop plans. Um, and, and so they are, uh, we have an account, an accountable discipleship task force, which Bob Kaler chairs, which Bob can tell us a lot about that. Um, we have a church multiplication task force. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all the chairs of these because mm -hmm. we're trying, there are some places in the church where if you're identified as being a part of a task force, the WCA it could be a problem for you. Bob's at a place he doesn't care. I'm at a place I don't care. But, but, but we want to we be sensitive that not everybody's in the same place on that. But uh, the Church Multiplication Task Force has a plan to actually be able to announce the formation of over 100 churches starting as soon as the new entity is announced. Wow. I'm excited about that. That's exciting. Um, the uh, Church Revitalization Task Force is being chaired by an incredibly capable superintendent who has led an entire district of small, small member church membership churches to accelerate their growth over a five-year period of time. The leadership she's giving is outstanding, and, and she's populated her task force and its sub-teams, not with people who think they might want to revitalize the church someday, but people who are actually doing it, and they're gleaning those best practices. Uh, we have a global mission partnership task force in which we're trying to, uh, one of the things that uh, is going to be a challenge for us is we need to, to, to find and develop funding streams and connections with uh, churches in North America, who uh, with churches and districts in the central conferences, because in many ways, the central conferences have incredible wealth to offer us as far as spiritual depth and vitality. We owe a debt of gratitude to them for preserving orthodoxy in the church, but they're dependent upon some of the income streams that we can send to them to help the church function. So we're working on those kind of partnership models. Another one is uh, ministry with the marginalized. Uh, we, uh, we're, we're committed to ministry with the poor and ministry with, ministry with the disenfranchised. Uh, a, a sixth one is a ministry with young people and young adults. I think it's a, I think it's a, a misrepresentation of uh, millennials and other groups of young people that they all embrace a progressive ideology and are in favor of uh, everything that the, the remaining United Methodist Church, the post-separation United Methodist Church, wants to offer them. And we want to offer them a historic expression of Christian faith in the Wesleyan tradition, and we're building bridges into that community. And then three other task forces we have is we have a chaplaincy task force working right now. Bob, as a former military officer, you 
have an appreciation for how important the, the role of chaplain is in our armed services, as well as in hospitals, at schools, and other places. Well, there's a very finely defined credit credentialing process for chaplaincy. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and we are working on the process that we will be able to have somebody ready to walk through that process on behalf of whatever the post uh, the traditional uh, expression is going to be so that within five months we'll have uh, chaplains able to be deployed or identified with this traditional expression and be able to continue in their chaplaincy without having to betray their denominational affiliation. Mm -hmm. um, uh, 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 the eighth task force is we have a course of study task force. Uh, you know, the present course of study, I happen to teach in a couple of them. And, um, and I'll just say from my perspective, uh, they need some work. And, um, and so uh, we're not going to be sending our present students to the majority of the present expressions of course of study. So for those of you listening, the course of study is the track for people who would be formally called local pastors that they have to go to to get the training in order to be able to continue to be credentialed in the church. We're going to have ordination much earlier, but we still want to train our clergy. And so they're going to be responsible for participating in a course of study. And so we have people from several seminaries, as well as boards of ordained ministry, as well as local pastors that are working together on this task force to develop what the best expression of a course of study would be. And then the last one is uh, we have a connectional funding task force that's begun to do its work. Uh, I don't know what Bob's church is like or what your church is like, Stephanie, but my church pays about 15% a year on a, on a, you know, over $350,000 a year in apportionments. And, uh, and, and sometimes my, my board will say, now, can you remind me what we get for this? You're right. <laughs> and I'll say, well, will you get me. And they'll say, well, we need a better deal than that, you know, and <laughs> then um, they pay you on top of that. Right. That's right. Then they pay me on top of that. So, so one of the things we talked about, Bob, this is a, something that we talked about, but we've not come to agreement on yet. is what, what a shared ministry funding stream would look like. Mm -hmm. um, we're not going to have the old apportionment model, which is like taxation without representation. We are going to have a shared ministry model in which there are things that we will do better together that we cannot do alone. But I can't, my present percentage is 15%. I can't possibly comprehend an apportionment that will be more than 7 or 8%. But, but I, I, I even hesitate to say that because we're in process. I'm just telling you what I'm advocating for. And uh, we have a task force working on that that will be populated with people who have expertise in the general church, in the episcopacy, and annual conference funding streams, as well as local church funding streams. So it's a good representation. So the philosophy about all of these is we're getting people with much more expertise than we have sitting on the council. We're empowering them to do work and to bring back their best effort to us. And then we receive their work and begin to perfect it in order to feed into the system, which will come into the next Methodism. Mm -hmm. And those task forces now are beginning to sort of give interim reports. Uh, we're hoping to have a little bit more, I think this is correct, to have a more, at least a shell of what we're looking for each of those task forces by the time we get to this fall. That's correct. So that so, there is a, yeah, there's a, there's a, a roadmap. So as I said earlier in, in the conversation, uh, we changed our, our communication strategy in the last two months. We've had to. Nobody would be listening to what we're saying because, because the virus is front of mind. 
I don't believe that change. I've had some more progressive pastors and bishops say to me, well, that's all this whole conversation about separation is pre-COVID-19. I'm here to tell you the problems that led us to the brink of separation two months ago are still going to be there when we're done. And, and so we'll know when it's time to begin to change the conversation. And Bob, that's when we'll begin to publicize more and more of this kind of thing. It's once again, an invitation for people to be a part of the conversation. Give us your feedback. We're continuing to perfect this, but we, we really want to have a workable solution going before we get there. So I imagine, and Keith mentioned this last week, and I hear it all the time too, that there are people just now kind of waking up to this reality. Uh, and I think that this delay with general conference has given us an opportunity for people to kind of say, I didn't know any of this was going on. Uh, it would have been a shock had general conference actually met in May, but this gives us more time than we wanted, I think, to kind of think through this. So as you think about those who say, I'm kind of on the fence here. I'm not sure where to go. I'm, I, I'm sort of like, I, I kind of agree. I'm a traditional person, but I'm not sure I want to go here. What would you say to those who are kind of riding the fence right now? So Bob, I'm going to answer this question, but I want you to feel free to edit it. Okay. I, <laughs> because I have the power. I know you do. And, and I, and uh, um, I would say, that um, based upon my 36 years of ministry experience in the present United Methodist Church, where I have served um, in every size of local church, I've been a district superintendent, I've been a seminary president, I serve a very large church now, I've been a delegate to six general conferences and seven jurisdictional conferences. Um, the, uh, the strident shift of the middle of the church from where I used to stand. I used to stand in the middle of the church. The strident shift of the middle of the church to the left um, has almost given me whiplash. That's why I got involved with the WCA. I saw us as a, a non-adversarial, ironic gathering of warm-hearted, Jesus-loving, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, Wesleyan Christians who wanted to hold together, you know, a passion for souls and a compassion for people. And that's what we're trying to build. And we'll be better with the more people who share that kind of ethic and that kind of heart set about the church to come and join us. Um, I, I, I think people will be astonished at how quickly the church runs to the left whenever the counterbalance of the evangelical or orthodox wing of the church, the majority of us go somewhere else. Um, it will not be slow. I don't know if you're paying attention to it, but Garrett Evangelical Seminary in Chicago is in the middle of a presidential search right now. I, I used to be one of those animals, so I pay attention to this kind of thing. And they've just had a botched search. Because there is, you, you cannot be too liberal, you cannot be too progressive, you cannot be too affirming of any agenda out there, okay? Uh, they're looking for the extreme to lead that seminary, which is kind of an anchor for the progressive side of the church. And, uh, and that's what's coming. Um, I, I, the, iron, the ironic centrist, uh, well, I'll put it this way. People 
will describe to me, they'll, they'll say I'm a centrist and I'll say, you know, that's kind of like a purple unicorn. I've heard they exist, but I've never really seen one lately. And when I begin to ask them just a couple of diagnostic questions about how they feel about the answers that are presenting themselves to us or the questions that are presenting themselves, they, uh, they say, oh, I'm not that, right, you're here. Now, you might have feelings about people who have, uh, who have taken a stand for Orthodox tradition in the past. Uh, I was there, I stood in the middle, I was, glad it, I was glad they took care of that, I didn't have to, but I was grateful for them. Well, now I often get painted in that number and I'm grateful for them. Um, I've actually thanked and apologized to them for not having been willing to stand before now, but I'm honored to stand with them now. Now you might want to cut this part out. <laughs> Every time I, I'm astonished at the lack of willingness of our clergy to provide leadership here. Every time this hits the front page of the secular news, it's like a, the whole church is like a bunch of meerkats. They all pop up and they start looking around saying, what? I didn't know this was happening. And, and it's really time, if you're a clergy person listening to this and you've not talked about this to your church and you've not done the homework, it's time for you to get with the, get with the program because your people will respond much better by you providing leadership here and letting them know where you are and that you love them and you're going to guide them as best you can to where they want to be. I mean, do that. They'll have much more respect for you if you do that now than if you, if 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 this happens at general conference and you didn't even tell them it was coming. I I that's just I I don't understand. I couldn't sleep at night if I hadn't been responsible to allow my people to understand where we are and where we're going. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks, Jeff. That's a really really good word for us, and it's so important for us to know where people stand on things, right? We gotta, we gotta be able to take a stand. One question that we have been asking everyone who's been on our podcast thus far is what is your hope for the new denomination? What's your vision for the future? And as we kind of go out on this note, I'd just love to hear what you see as the future. I get glimpses of it every once in a while, especially when I'm together with some of the folks from the WCA or when we gathered a global gathering. I, I want to be a part of a of a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled, soul-winning movement again. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to I don't want to be taking stands about everything we're against. I want to invite people to be a part of something we're for. Mm -hmm. And and I I think that this is a great opportunity for us to reclaim the winsomeness of the gospel, and uh, and to invite people to be part of a life-changing, world-altering movement. Mm -hmm. And I, I want the kind of church that my, my kids are all involved in the church. I want the kind of church that my grandkids are going to run to mm -hmm. because they find Jesus there. That's what I want. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's an echo for me as well. That, mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I joined the WC. I was kind of in the same, same place. I hadn't been involved in that uh, side of the house most of my career until until there was no other alternative uh, here, particularly in the West where it's very difficult. And so it's been exciting for me. I know it's been exciting for you, Stephanie, to be part of this movement, to go to our global gatherings. We have one coming up in mm -hmm. October of this year to be part of that and feel like I'm with the tribe. You know, that's, that, that's what it feels like. And uh, it's exciting to, to think about that. Jeff, we wanna thank you for your time. 
I'm sure we'll be talking to you again as we go through this, this long journey that has been extended a little bit. We'll look forward to, uh, to talking more about when we get into more specifics as we move toward uh, convening conference, which we hope will take place here within the next, uh, well, we don't know exactly when, but, but hopefully soon uh, after, after general conference meets, whatever it, it meets, because we're still kind of up in the air about that too. Stephanie, I want to thank you too for for your your help. We had a little bit of internet issues today, so um, but uh, but we're thankful for for all that you contribute and bring to this process. Um, it's always fun. We've been this is our third episode. We've been having a great time doing these, and look forward to doing more. We're going to get into more specifics as we go down the line on different aspects of the doctrine and discipline. So if you heard some things today that piqued your interest or piqued your interest and said, I wonder about uh, ordination, I wonder about clergy deployment. We're gonna have special episodes on all of those things and maybe multiple episodes on some of them because there's a lot of complexity to that process. We wanna remind you as we wrap up here that you can leave us comments or questions by emailing us at podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. Again, that's podcast at wesleyancovenant.org. The podcast is now on iTunes. It's now on Spotify. It's on Podbean. We're looking for more platforms to place it. So make sure you leave a review and give us a good review. That helps to drive traffic to our site. And if you know others who are kind of up in the air about WCA, wondering about what it's about, point them to the podcast. This is a great way for them to learn more. So Stephanie, any last words you want to give before we wrap up? Just want to say a big thanks to Jeff and always to you, Bob, as well. And friends, we're glad that you have listened today and we hope you have a very blessed week. Blessings to you all. And we'll see you next time here on Holy Conversations, the WCA podcast.